Welcome to the Minnesotan Podcast. Today we have Trent Klatt on the show today. Trent, a legend here in Minnesota, both athletically and as a coach behind the bench. And he currently serves as a scout for the New York Islanders. We're going to talk to him about his life growing up here in Minnesota, as well as his playing days at Osseo High School at the University of Minnesota, and then several years in the NHL. Should be a great show. Looking forward to hearing what Trent has to share with you about his career career give gifts of tradition and nostalgia this year find anywhere you want at the minnesotan give people what they want guaranteed this place is worth the drive to white bear lake ask my friend john king once he said it's the greatest store in the world and i can't disagree with him you can use the discount code yhh for 15 percent off at the minnesotan at the minnesotan.com exclusive only to yhh yhh fans hope you enjoy today's show is a burning thing and it makes a fiery ring bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire well Trent how are you doing today I'm doing wonderful Tony how are you I'm doing great. It's sunny here in Minnesota. Where are you? Where do your travels take you today? Right now, I am. Uh, I picked up a rental car in Detroit. I'm heading south, and I'm uh, I'm heading to Youngstown, Ohio, for a game tonight. How far is Youngstown from Detroit? Two hours? Three hours? Uh, about three and a half. Three. Oh, that's that's all. That's a USHL trip. That's yeah, the way I look yeah. at it. Whenever I got to go to uh, Fargo or Sioux Falls or Sioux City, it's always a good three four hour drive. Yeah. Yeah, you get a lot of window time. <laughs> I was going to say you're probably a professional at the windshield stuff. <laughs> yeah, I just try to do as much of it as I can with the sun up, not with the uh, moon out. Yes, I, I've, I've experienced that, that's for sure. So let's just begin. Uh, let's go back to growing up. I, I think you grew up in Brooklyn Park. Would that be the where you grew up? Yep, yep, and, yep, grew up in Brooklyn Park. And, and live and went to Osseo High School. There must have been some kind of dividing line that because I know you grew up uh, playing in – what was the hockey association that you grew up in? Well, it was the Brooklyn Park Youth Hockey Association. It was interesting because Brooklyn Boulevard uh, runs through Brooklyn Park. And Curtis Janicki, who I know you know well, lives yeah. on the north side of Brooklyn Boulevard. And I live on the south side of Brooklyn Boulevard. And uh, the south side went to Osseo High School. The north side uh, went to Park Center. Yeah. And so our hockey association growing up had, uh, we, we lost to Coleraine in the PBA state final. Uh, and then our team split up. So those of us that lived on the one side went to Osseo. Everybody else had to go to Park Center. So, so uh, unfortunately, our youth hockey association got split when we got to high school. Yeah, yeah, but that was hard. And you guys had some tremendous teams, and you weren't just a good hockey player. Uh, Curtis, I did a little background, and he said he, that guy could have played Division One in any sport. He was the best football player. <laughs> he was the best baseball player. Uh, was your whole family athletic, or were you just kind of a, a gift from God? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think it, you know, no taking nothing away from my mom or dad, I, I, I really believe it was a gift from God. Um, just... It's one of those things, whatever I did, 
seemed to come relatively natural to me. And if I had the desire and the passion and put my mind to it, I seemed to find a way to, uh, to improve myself to be one of the better players. So uh, just very lucky. I, uh, uh, you sent me a picture of you and Curtis. He was playing for Notre Dame, and you were at the U of M. And another gift from God was this beautiful mullet. Did you always have that mullet even back in the youth days? Yeah, you know what I did? And I'll tell you a really embarrassing story. My hair is absolutely dead straight. Yeah. Just noodles hanging from the top of my head. I'd see guys with mullets and it kind of curled that, yeah. you know, out the back of the helmet and all that. Well, I used to have my sister curl my hair for me. Just no so it kind of Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh. If you interviewed her, she'd have to tell the story to embarrass me. But uh, I'll just throw that out there. So uh, growing up, was hockey the sport for you or was it just kind of for me? It was the season, whatever temperature was kind of the sport for me. To be honest with you. Uh, I always loved hockey more than all the other ones, but I firmly believe that, uh, I mean, when it was springtime, you put the hockey stuff away and out came the golf clubs and the baseball bat. And I never thought about playing hockey until, you know, I got the 14, 15, 16 years old right. uh, during the summertime. You just didn't do it. And um, I just, it was always my number one sport, but I didn't focus on it. I was too busy doing whatever was in season, like you. Yeah, for me, it was whatever temperature. You know, 75, yep. we're going to do this. If, if it was 25, and once it got a little chilly in the fall, I, I put everything away, and all I wanted to do was skate and play hockey. You yep. know, the minute it got under 50 degrees, I was like, all right, let's put everything away. It's time to play, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I wanted an eight-month season, you know. I wanted to make it as long yeah. as I could. So, all right, so growing up, you had – Luke Johnson was a was an Osseo kid, right? Yep, and yep. So Luke was uh, – he's two years older than me, yep. And so you guys had some decent teams. I was doing a little research here. You guys got all the way to the section final in 1988. That must have been your junior year of high school. And you had just yep. beaten Park Center pretty badly, your rivals, to get to the section yep. final. And, and, and believe it or not, Hill Murray had just beaten, I think, White Bear in like double or triple overtime. So both teams had had a lot of motion in that, in that semis. What do you remember about the, uh, the section final playing at Met Center in front of at least 10,000 people? Oh, it was unbelievable. And the unfortunate thing for us back in those days is we always had to go through Hill Murray. Right. I hated it. You know what I mean? I even, when I was coaching against Bill Lechner, he like a couple years ago, he says, why, why do you keep calling me? Cause I want you on the schedule. What do you, what do you mean you want? Cause I hate Hill Murray. I want to beat you. I said, even as a coach, I want to beat you. Cause I always lost to Hill Murray growing up. So, but that night at the Met center, uh, I mean, that was the first time I had played in front of, you know, that many people. And it was, it was awesome. And, you know, kudos to Hill Murray for winning and going on, but, um, it was a pretty special night. So after uh, your youth career, your high school career, um, you get recruited by Doug Wood. Was there any other choice to, that, then playing for Minnesota, or did you maybe have second thoughts about playing there and going somewhere else? No, I can tell you the one thing that was uh, true and dear to me growing up was the fact that if the possibility was to come about, I wanted to play at the University of Minnesota just i just thought that was the end all be all 
yeah. I didn't have, uh, you know, that's just the way it was. I, uh, you know, I didn't even know that other colleges existed, to be honest with you. I wanted to be a gopher. And at the time, as you know, you know, it was all Minnesotans playing there. Yeah. And it was something special. And I thought, man, if I can be a part of that, boy, do I want it. And, you know, I was just so blessed and fortunate to, to get that opportunity. And those were some of the some of the best days uh, of being a hockey player. It's strange when you think about it. You know, all the hundreds and hundreds or thousands of kids that play in Minnesota. Back then it was like, there's five scholarships every year, right? Yeah. When you think about it, there's 20 kids on the team. There's about five scholarships every year. You're one of the five that gets the privilege to go play there. That's the way I always looked at it. And, and if yeah. you were the sixth guy and you had to go play somewhere else, it wasn't as great as that prize jewel of playing at, at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, no, and I mean, you go back to to my days in the, the mid-80s, I mean, yeah, Neil Broughton at that time was in the NHL, and Mike Ramsey was in the NHL, but I mean, in all honesty, there, you know, the the, the NHL, people kind of sometimes look at me like, what are you talking about? And it's like, well, I don't know that I really thought that the NHL was even an option right? until I, until I even got into college, you know? I mean, yeah, you're drafted, but how many Minnesotans were in the NHL prior to that? They're just the it wave, was all golfers. The wave had just begun. You know what I mean? In the, yeah. by the mid '80s, the wave had just. But it was only. It was just kind of like this. It was a. It was kind of like a, a light way in the distance kind of thing. Where now you can see how Americans are making it the NHL. You know, into in high percentages for. Back then in the 70s and 80s, it was a very, very low percentage of Americans actually playing. Yeah, so, like, well, did you always dream of playing in the NHL? Well, no, I didn't, because <laughs> I didn't think that there was even really an option. I just wanted to be a gopher. I wanted to play at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, that's literally been that's the focus of a lot of these people. I was doing some research. Uh, if you played in the NHL and you were an American in the 70s, you were like a unicorn. You yeah. know, and in the 80s, it kind of became, you know, you had a Phil Housley and a Mike Ramsey and, like you said, Neil Broughton. And then in the 90s, you you kind of were in that next wave. You and Darby and those guys were that next wave of, hey, this is po- even more and more possible, you know. Yeah. That's that's an interesting take. Uh, you had some good teams. Uh, you guys won a, a, a conference title in 92. The 92 team had a pretty cool uh, list of guys. We talked about Darby, but one of the guys, Andy Brink was saying that Travis Richards was just kind of a man child. Um, you know, he's a few, he's a red shirted kid. So he had a, he had an opportunity to, to develop a little bit later on in his uh, gopher career. What were your takeaways with, with that team with Larry Olam and Craig Johnson and those guys? Oh man. You know what I would say, you know, out of more than anything, it just was a group of rink rats. Yeah. To be honest with you, you know what I mean? Like I use that term even today talking about players. They're they're just rink rats. They live, eat, breathe hockey, whether they're on the ice or playing pee whackers and on their knees in the hallway of the hotel or outside. Uh, We were just a bunch of kids that, I mean, we grew up playing outside. Right. And I think all Woog did was basically just open the door and kind of let us go. And every once in a while, just, okay, no, do this instead of that. And just try to keep us in the same direction. You know what I mean? They're just a bunch of guys that understood how to play uh, the game of hockey where when we had the puck, we were trying to create time and space 
so we can move it to others. And when we didn't have the puck, we were taking that time and space away. Yeah, it's so funny to look at this list of of guys just on this team alone. I'm, I, I could list off at least uh, at least ten guys that are either coaching youth hockey, like like a Tony Bianchi still coaching youth hockey, or you got Chris McAlpine who's a he's an agent, or you got a uh, Scott Bell's a scout like you are. Joe Dijic, yep. Joe Dijic's coaching and doing a ton with youth hockey in, in Minneapolis. Um, you, you got Corey Leyland, who's at, at, at Hamlin. Darby's at the Wild. Craig Johnson's done a ton with the LA Kings and yourself. I mean, there's a ton of kid guys that are, like you said, they're still rink rats, aren't they? they they're yep. just, it's just a still different are. kind of rink rat, right? Yep, yep. And it's interesting, you know, when I, and we'll get into it, I'm sure, but, you know, when I was coaching, it's, trying to figure out how to take the game because these kids don't go outside much anymore. Right. So we learned how to play the game with 30 and 40 kids on the rink at the same time with one puck. There was no time. There was no space. And if you skated with your hand down, you got run over. You know what I mean? Yes. So as you're coaching now, you're trying to figure out ways to teach how to play the game. Um, not with 10 guys standing in line waiting to go around an orange cone. Right. Because once you drop the puck and the game starts, there are no orange cones. No. You know? No, there's so not. You, you just, and that's the trick of coaching today is trying to figure out ways to teach the game without standing on a board. When, when you're, you're in direction. Yeah, you're in a lot of rinks. These, I just read off a handful of these guys, but another guy that I ran into, this is kind of a funny sidebar, was Kenny Jernander, another guy you played with, and is now your brother-in-law. Tell the story of, of you and your wife and, and, and your sister-in-law and how that all kind of came about. Well, I met my wife uh, when I was a junior in high school, um, so we were dating uh, when I went into college as uh, a freshman. And Kenny is two years older than, than I, so he was a junior. Um, and, of course, I was playing hockey. My wife and her identical twin uh, were recruited by Ann Campbell, who's the no athletic way. director. Yeah, she was the – she was the uh, – she recruited – Yeah, at the University of Minnesota at the time. She was – she recruited my wife and Kirby to play softball at the University of Minnesota as well. So, That's crazy. Uh, yeah, there's that kind of connection too. Yeah, but anyway, I know Anne. That's uh, why I knew. Well, we'll get to Anne later on in this show, but it was not planned at all. Okay, so she's the softball coach at the U. Recruits your your wife and sister in law, and yeah. then how did so, Kenny get in get in the club? Well, we all we all kind of. Uh, well, I get to University of Minnesota, and of course, you know, I mean, Kenny's a junior, and we. Can I tell you a really quick funny story sure. of Kenny? All right. So anyway. Uh, Kenny and I believe it or not, we hit it off right away. I mean, it's just one of those things where, uh, as we started playing for some reason, it's like me growing up with Curtis. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but I always knew where Curtis was. He always knew where I was and we could just feed off of it. Well, when I got to university of Minnesota, Kenny was that way to me. I just, I knew where he was and I knew he wanted to talk anyway. So the gopher team, my freshman year, we're over in Europe, we're in Germany and we're playing our first preseason game and you know i'm just a young freshman and i'm introverted to begin with so i hardly say a word and i'm just minding myself and so kenny comes up we're getting ready to go out for for the game and he waxes whacks me on the shin pads with his stick and he goes hey kid 
And I'm like, yeah. He goes, if you want an assist, just give me the puck. And, <laughs> and, he, and he turned and he said, let's go. <laughs> so I took his advice. Yeah, it's a lot of advice. And he had a ton of points. He was great. You know, his we could do a whole podcast about Kenny Jernander. I mean, his 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 hockey track is pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, very, very much so. Very I mean, much as so. far I mean, as all the coaching and the, and the development he's done over the years in the AHL is just spectacular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's very well versed in hockey, no doubt. So, when you were living in Grand Rapids, was it just like one giant happy family? I mean, he lives there now too, and you know the sisters are in the same town. Was that was that a pretty cool time for you? Yeah, it was really cool. Do you want to kind of want me to tell you the story of how we ended up there? Yeah, let's kind do that. Interesting. We're, well, we're so a little anyway, bit off so, the rails, but we'll keep yeah, going. Yeah, that's all right. That's fine. <laughs> well, that's why I thought I'd ask. If you want me to do it, I'll do we'll it. Do it now. Like we can, we'll do it now. Okay, so anyway. After this, we'll go back uh, to playing for Woog because I want to hear some a Doug Woog story. So okay, so go back. Right. Let's tell you how you, how'd you get to Grand Rapids, then we'll come back to Wooger. All right. So anyway, we're uh, – uh, I'm actually – so Kenny uh, buys uh, a house or a cabin on a lake just south of Coleraine. It's southeast of Grand Rapids, um, and it's the summer of 96, and my wife and I are meeting with Ken and Kirby. We're going up to International Falls to go to Jason Miller's wedding. No way. So Yeah. So we, whatever night it was, we spent the night at, at Kenny and Kirby's on the lake there, and to make the story real quick, the place next door is up for sale. So my wife and I bought it, and now not only are Kenny and I married to twins uh we have properties on this lake right next to each other oh so in in the summertime it's just like he's got three kids i had five so we got eight kids running around i mean it was it was a circus all summer long that's a pretty cool circus though you know yeah that was those those cousins will look back 20 years from now and go what a special time that was having us all together i mean i know my 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 family i have three kids and my sister-in-law's got two kids and they're still now it's like they facetime each other and we're on vacation together and it's like their brother and sister when they get together and i can only imagine with eight of them what the what the fireworks were like oh yeah they got this thing now it's the cousin group chat thing and i try so hard to get in there because i just want to know what they're saying about me (laughs) but they never tell me it's like it is a Every once in a while, they're just ha 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 laughing at me, and I go, well, "I'm the butt of what joke now?" Yeah. Oh, I can only imagine how many times you're the butt of the joke. That's for sure. <laughs> a lot. Well, that's great. So let's go back just really quick. Uh, we'll go back to the old Mariucci because it, it closed. I think you closed it down. I think the next year after your third year at the U, they went into new Mariucci. So were you there the last game at Mariucci? No, I was not. The year that I signed, the spring of 92, I think they played one more year. One more year. year. Okay, yeah, you're right. They, they, they did, played yeah. one more year, so I did not play the last one. But that barn was uh, it was pretty interesting. You know, I was you know off, off air before we started this podcast. I was telling you about uh, my one daughter who was in gymnastics. We actually went to uh, a gymnastics meet at the University of Minnesota in the women's pavilion, yes. which is the old Mariucci. And, you know, so many years later, I walked in there for that. And even talking about it right now, all the hair on my body is standing because I could just remember all the memories of that time. And the, the arena still looks the same, even though there's no, no ice sheet there with, with all the glass on the west side of the building. And it still had the, you know, the maroon uh, behind our home net, so the seats from the basketball arena, you know, um, just it was so cool. I, I I have to say I had the exact same emotion. I went to a volleyball 
a, a gopher volleyball uh, match there and had the exact same feeling. So I was like, this is still, it hasn't changed one bit. The lighting was better. That's, you know, they have, yes. they have better LED lighting these days than they yeah. had back then. I think yeah, that's that, why we always like playing it. That's why we always like playing afternoon games on the weekend. <laughs> Cause the light would come in from the windows. Yeah. 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 The lighting in there was terrible when I think about yeah. it. It was like they were using light bulbs from from Kmart or something. It was yeah. so bad. It was so bad. Yeah. All right, let me ask you about your your experience with Doug Woog and his assistant coaches during your time there. You said, yeah, you just basically opened the door. But what was your experience with him as a coach? I've had so many positive things since he's just really uh, recently passed away. Well, it's interesting. You know, one of the things – it's not necessarily really something Doug said or did. It was kind of the philosophy that he brought to the table. And this is one of the things that Curtis and I kind of figured out, you know, in probably Bantams, you know, so much of the, my youth, it was, you stay in three lanes, stay in three lanes, stop coming over to my lane, get back over there. And it's just like, like, I couldn't believe it, but Doug Wook, if we didn't have an odd numbered rush, going through the neutral zone, attacking the offensive blue line, we were not allowed to dump it in, and we had to turn around and give it to our defensemen, and we had to regroup. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was just, it was like this this European style of hockey. If we, if it, if it wasn't an odd man rush, turn around, throw it to our defensemen, and let's regroup it again and see if we can't figure out a way to, to, uh, to make an odd man rush through the neutral zone. Interesting. And I loved it. You know, you crisscross, don't stay, get, I mean, if you're, in, if you were standing still in practice doing a regroup drill or something, like that, get moving, you know, get, go somewhere. Well, where do you want me? I don't know. Figure it out. Go somewhere. Yeah. Don't <laughs> you know? stand still. Well, that was, don't stand still. that was one of Gretzky's things. He was never standing still. He yeah. was always moving, you know, and that was yeah. a, that was a big transition of like you said, like the lanes in the in the sixties and seventies, you know, uh, yep. almost like the lanes. You remember when you were on the kickoff team, and you had to stay in your lane. It was the oh, same. Yeah. Th- it was kind of the same thing in in hockey, you know. You never yep. get on the other side. If you're left wing and you're over on the right hand side. You, you, the coach was going to let you have it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I wanted to play center. Because <laughs> you had to go in, in both lanes, stay, right? I couldn't stay on the boards. I just happened. I had to go somewhere else, <laughs> and the centers had more. Had more leeway. Yeah, I can only imagine, uh, you know, with your body and your skill sets, uh, center wasn't necessarily the first position people were putting you at, right? Well, it's interesting. I'll tell you another story about Doug Woog. I mean, because I played center my whole life. Right. Up well, until, didn't up every until gopher, I got to college. Right? Didn't every gopher yeah. play center, right? Yeah. Someone's so, got to play know, wing. And, and, yeah, and I'm like, all right, this is going to be great. And, you know, so, like, you're playing right wing. And I'm like, um. I didn't say anything, but I'm like, I, you're, I'm on the, like, cool. I want to play center. And yeah. he says, Trent, Trent, he says, um, you're going to play wing. I'm not <laughs> sure you're going to play center ever again. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know what I mean? Like big guy, hard right, shot. Like, like it's, hold on it's a second. Your wing, you know? right? Yeah, but it was, um, he was right. That is so funny. What did you do? I think at that time I cried. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Well, I'm glad we got to talk a few gopher moments. Uh, After your third year uh, of college, you went pro. Uh, Walk through that 
process of deciding to leave college and and uh, to, to to risk it all and, and go pro? Well, it, at that point in time, uh, I talked earlier about not even realizing that the NHL was 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 an option. Um, and by the time my junior year of college, you know, I'd realized at that time that you know maybe this is a possibility, maybe it is an option. And you know, talking with you know Coach Woog and talking with my parents and uh, my family advisor at the time. Um, well, what do you want to do? Well, I want to do it, but they thought, you know what, if at, at the time, if the North stars negotiated, uh, a one-way contract, yep. then, you know, if you want to leave then then that would be something that, you know, I should look to do. And right. okay, that made sense to me. Well, initially, no, they wouldn't do it. So if you remember in 92, the NHL went on strike yes. for two weeks. And this was after our season was over. It was before the strike. We were negotiating for a couple of days, and they they weren't going to offer a one-way deal. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. And when that strike ended up, the North Stars changed their tune, and they offered a uh, contract. Well, now what are you going to do? Well, okay, I'm going to sign. So I made my decision to turn pro and um, – drove from school down to Met Center for practice that one afternoon. insane. Uh, I was shaking. I was actually, at the time, I was driving south on Cedar, uh, and I was going to go east on 494 and get off on, is it 24? 24, 24th, yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing the Cloverleaf south Cedar going east on 494. I drove right into the Cloverleaf. I was so nervous. No way. <laughs> Oh yeah, into the ditch, back up onto the road, and and I'm like, I I I couldn't believe what I was doing. I was so nervous. Uh, I'll get to that in just a second, but I, I interviewed Brad Berry, the North Dakota coach, uh, a week or so ago, and he said, yeah, one day within seven days, he was at the University of North Dakota, and within seven days, he was playing in Winnipeg. No, he was yeah, he's playing in Winnipeg, and he was playing against Mario Lemieux. He's like, yeah. it was just like. You had gone from like Dinky Town in some you know rat hole, you know apartment or house to now you have enough money to buy your own house. How crazy yep. is that? Oh, it was wild. I mean, and you know, I don't even know how many days it was, but I signed my contract. It was probably three or four days later. We're in St. Louis, and it's my first NHL game. And I'm playing wing just like Wook said I would. And you know who my center is? Who? Neil Broughton. No. Come yes. on. Neil Broughton and my first rookie card were playing St. Louis. You know who the left – I started the game, believe it or not. You know who the left wing was for St. Louis at the time in my rookie card? Dave all. Christian. Dave, oh, my goodness. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I got, I got Neil Broughton's my center, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. How many days, weeks, years did it finally sink in that you belong there? And because you didn't have a lot of time in the minor leagues, so you kind of went from you know Dinky Town to the big time just overnight. You know, how long did it take yeah, to sink I, in? Uh, well, I call it eating the proverbial piece of humble pie. Okay, that's good. what I call it. Like and the it. reason I say that is because. 
uh, it took me quite a while to realize that I had to change the way I was going to play because I wasn't going to be the player that I wanted to be at that level. Yeah. If that, if that makes sense. It, it's a, um, yes, it, it, this is the discussion that most professionals, when they talk about their career, is adjusting to not being, like it's kind of like going from center at Osseo your whole life to wing. Yeah. You know, you have to make so many adjustments to the type and style of the game. So here, you're going to lead us right down that road, aren't you? Yeah. So anyway, it's like, it's like uh, you know, it's like, who do you want to be? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I love, I mean, I, I really like, I mean, Neil Broughton, I wasn't a Neil, I mean, I knew I wasn't going to be as good as Neil Broughton. I knew that. No. But, well, who is somebody, I remember Bob Gini asking me one time, well, who, who, who would you like to be, Trent, in the NHL? And I, I, Anahan, and you just about spit every last bit of liquid he had in coffee or orange juice or whatever out of his mouth. But I literally believe that. Like, I wanted to be Brendan Shanahan. <laughs> Don't we all, right? And I, did, and I didn't even come close to being like <laughs> Brendan Shanahan. So it took me probably until, gosh, I was in Vancouver. So I was, uh, I got there probably. 98, it was says. Almost, I was 29, 29 yeah. 30 years old before I realized, and I swallowed that proverbial piece of humble pie um, and learned to be what I what I needed to be to help the team be successful, not who and what I wanted to be, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So finally, did, in 95, 96, uh, were you traded to the Flyers or did you sign as a free agent with the Flyers? No, I was with the North Stars at the time. In December of 95, I got traded to Philly right. uh, for Brent, Brent Fedick. I still remember that. What, uh, what was being traded like? I've not had this ever asked this question. What does that feel like? Can I can I tell you a story? Sure. All right. Here so for. this is the this is the day I get traded from Philly. So uh, the phone rings, and I'm at home. I answer it. My home phone. It's not a cell phone. I don't think I had a cell. phone. Yeah. Uh, it's my home phone. I answer it, and uh, I go hello, and Trent. This is Bob Gainey. Uh, with the Dallas Stars, I just wanted to let you know that we've traded your rights of service to the Philadelphia Flyers. Would you like your uh, game gear or your practice gear? And I was just silent, and I said, what? Trent, this is Bob Ganey. We've traded your rights of service to the Philadelphia Flyers. Would you like your practice gear or your game gear? And I said, well, I would like my game gear, I guess. He goes, okay, perfect. We have a flight for you at 5 o'clock. You can pick your equipment up at Dr. Pepper Star Center at 3 o'clock. Thank you. Click. No way. That's a true story. What is the game was, gear? What, is the, what does that even mean, game gear, practice well, gear? When we were you know, in, in, in Dallas, and most teams have practice rinks now, yep. uh, you have your practice gear that you have at your practice rink, and then you have your game gear, which is where you play your games, um, with the exception of your skates. Your skates that go back and forth. It was nothing more than to just help the, the equipment managers and the trainers out from not having to – bring your equipment all right. back and forth all the time. So we had two sets of equipment and I wanted my game gear cause it was better than my practice gear. So he's <laughs> talking about your shoulder pads and your shin pads, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like the breezers, yeah. you're going to get new breezers in Philly, right? Well, just the shell. Yeah. Oh, so you actually, the, 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 the breezers were your own. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Well, I mean, you got, you'd get one pair a year. Right. And right. then if you, you know, 
cuts. I mean, sometimes I, you know, they have more cuts on them where, all right, you got to get a new shell. Yeah. <laughs> Don't touch that inside because I've broken that stuff in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you got your stuff and that you went, they just leave it out on the, the sidewalk for you, basically? You know what? I don't remember seeing anybody when I went there. I'm sure one of the equipment managers was there, uh, shook his hand, thank you, here's your equipment, and go. And I was gone. Now, at this point, I know you had a son uh, uh, that's 26. So he, you had yep. you had a small family, at the like one child at the time? Maybe two. At this at this point in time, we uh, I had one child. My son was born. He was born in Texas. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, the North Stars were uh, we had a like a nine or ten day road trip. So this was after we got back to Dallas. After that road trip, I had sent my wife and my son to Minnesota while I was gone for that long road trip, just because it was it was before Christmas. Right time frame. So I said, you just go home, be with the family, all that. I'm going to go on the road. And so I got, I went to Philly. She never even came back to Dallas. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, okay. So, uh, your best years, uh, statistically are in Philadelphia. You have a couple 40 point seasons. You have a Stanley cup finals you guys made. Uh, you, you got close. Uh, walk through that Red Wings team that you faced in what was it '97? Yeah, man, I tell you what, that was that was that was so much fun to be honest with you. I mean, I can remember we had home ice advantage that year, so we had the Legion of Doom line, you know, Lindros, yep. Leclerc, and Renberg, and I have never in my life heard an arena as loud as that arena was when we stepped on the ice for game one. I mean, it was deafening. It was, it was amazing. So, uh, you know, we didn't get off on the right foot, you know, lost game one and well, we'll get back at it. Lost game two. And okay, well, maybe we'll, we'll do better when we get on the road, lost game three. And it was lights out in game four. So we never, uh, we never seemed to get to get unraveled and, and, and get on a roll. I mean, they were just fast. They were quick. They, they were in our face. We just, we just never were able to get it to get anything started. We weren't able to play our game. And when you were there, um, who was, who was on your line? What, what made you click? What, what was, was it the, were you in the peak of your, uh, career? Uh, was, what, what was so successful about those two years you there where you had 40 plus points? Well, uh, there was a there was a couple things that happened over those couple years. Um, I was fortunate to to play for good portions of each of those seasons uh, with some pretty good players. I mean, even part of to try to get a more balanced attack in Philadelphia, you know, I got to play for a, a big part of it with Lindros and Leclerc. And wow. basically, what a it big was, line that it, is. You were the smallest yeah. of those three, weren't you? Oh yeah, by <laughs> pounds and inches. <laughs> so I mean, I would, but I was fortunate in like what? Now, Trent, you just make sure that when the puck is in our zone. Remember, you played center your entire life up until high school. Yeah, okay. Well, you just play down low in our zone and get those guys the puck. Yeah. So that was basically my 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 role with them. But of course, you know, you make a breakout pass to, to those guys and. 
down they go and score. Well, boy, I got an assist. And then every once in a while, by the time, you know, the third or fourth rebound, they've created such chaos that, oh, everyone's on their back and there's a loose puck. Up that into the empty net. There yeah. was a lot of that going on. Uh, so I was very fortunate to, to be in situations like that with some pretty good hockey players. Um, and as much as I wanted to believe that I thought I was that good, nah, I really wasn't. Um, you then, after those years in Philly, do you get traded again from, from Philly to Vancouver? Yeah, I got, uh, I got traded from uh, Philly to Vancouver in October of 2018. Other than hotel, no. other than like hotel rooms and and some basics, did you know how great Vancouver was as a city until you got there? I had been there before. We went to the World Expo uh, in 1986, and I okay. actually played in a I played in a Mac Super Series tournament. Uh, they used to have it was the Juan Tassa Sabers. Yes, and I don't even I played know Juan Tassa. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was we had a team Minnesota. We went out there so. I don't even know. It must have been 86. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we played out there. So, I mean, I knew that view, but I didn't realize what a wonderful city it was until I played there. Yeah. I mean, when you're traveling, you said you traveled all the way around North, North America. A lot of times you basically just see a hotel room, a bus, and a rink. You know, you don't see a lot hey. of a city, right? You know, people ask me, oh, my gosh, you travel with your job. Now you're all over the place. How wonderful is that? And I said, hey, listen, I said, the hockey rinks look the same here as they do in Siberia, even though I've been to Moscow, not quite Siberia. But, uh, you know, they're, they're the same everywhere. Yeah. The size of them is a little different. Uh, but I know where the airports are. I know the roads to the hotel and where the rinks are. And that's basically about all I get to see. Yeah, I'll never forget. I was uh, I had a I had a client back before I started YHH and was in Boston. I'm like, oh, how cool! I'm like, every time we went there, I'd land on the land and I'd, I'd leave Logan Airport and drive right by a packed uh, Fenway Park. And I'm like, this is yep. not the Boston I want to see. I want to see <laughs> that thing over there, not some hotel exactly. room in Situate, you know, or whatever. Yep. It was like, that's that's not travel. Working and travel are not as as glamorous as people seem to think it is. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always hate to, to poo-poo it when people, because, I mean, you do get to travel, and it is interesting. You do, get the, you do get to see things, but you're right. It's not as glamorous as no. everyone else thinks it would be. No, it's not. Um, okay, so you get there's a, there's a couple Vancouver stories that I'm really hoping to, to dig into a little bit here. Um, and we haven't gotten to Grand Rapids yet. That's, that's where the, a lot of our listeners are going to be excited to hear about that. But you yeah. had the opportunity to pretty much, I don't know what the word, uh, you brought in the Sedin Twins. You were there, kind of their line mate. You were at, right there at the, the, the thrust of it all. Walk through your Sedin history and what, what your memories are with those kids. Well, it was, I had some pretty tumultuous times uh, at the end of my time in Philly uh, in my early first year in Vancouver where I, I, I lost my way and I kind of forgot who I was and all that type of things and was put on waivers a couple times. So what I remember most of all when I got to Vancouver was, was once I kind of reestablished myself and that's a whole bunch of stories that we can talk about later. Yeah. I can remember, I can remember Crawford and, and Brian Burke letting me, you know, know that, you know, you're, and I had swallowed my piece of humble pie by this time. I'd learned my lesson and I had, I had become a better person and a better hockey player, but they said, uh, 
we're pretty certain if you uh, stay where you're at, you're gonna you're gonna play with these two Sedin twins next year when they come. I'm like, cool, fine with me. Uh, so here I am at I don't know 30 years old, and yeah. I'm playing with these two kids who are 19, and I'm like. Wow. I mean, I couldn't believe what they could do at that age because I don't think I, I mean, I, at that time, I couldn't do what they, what they could do. You know what I mean? And I I just tell people this now. I said, thank God I played with them then because if if we wouldn't have played at the same time, I would have never been able to play with them. Right. Right. You know? Right. Um, So walk me through you know what was were there differences between them could you tell them apart what was what was that all about uh well yeah i couldn't now remember my wife is an identical twin so ah, i had you had a little 15, training i had 15 years of training before this time happened and not that i could tell them apart instantaneously it took me a while but you know like they look different Everyone's going, what do you mean you can, yeah, you can tell them different when you, when you're, when you're with them all the time, my wife and her twin sister don't look anything the same anymore to me. Uh, so I was able to kind of pick up on a few of those things. Henrik was the guy that obviously wanted to make the play. Danny, you give him the puck. You typically wasn't going to give it back. He was going to shoot it. Uh, <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, you just learn some of those nuances between them. Um, and it was enjoyable. I can tell you that. From what I understand, not that this is the Sedin show, but from what I understand is they were phenomenal athletes. They could have been professional anything. Is that is that f- f- pretty much true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they really, I mean, they're just they're they're athletes. That's you know, and I love that word. And we don't need to get off on this tangent, but athletes, you can you're not just a one sport wonder. You can do many things. Um, well, maybe we'll get to that when we talk about scouting, because I, I think I, when I'm when I'm observing players, I'm trying to find out how athletic they can be in certain postures and how they can use their body. Um, we'll get to that later, but I heard they could do just they could do flips and they were juggling soccer balls and they were great golfers. They could just do whatever they wanted. They were gifted. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay, so then the, the next Vancouver story, and uh, it, this is well-publicized, um, and you were right in the heart of it. You were in a, in a contract negotiation with another Minnesotan, Brian Burke, who was the general manager there. Walk through that story about uh, Brian Burke and taking you to the airport or whatever that, however that story goes. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll because I'll, I've heard him <laughs> tell the story a couple times. I think he was on Spit and Chicklets. And yes. He was, uh, He's on something else. You know, my daughters, they're all over social media. Oh, Dad, here, you got to watch this. You got to look. So I've seen him talk about it, and he can't get the story right. He's thinking, I, you know, a 10-year contract. So, so here's the story. Okay, all right. Um, I was my own agent at, at for uh, part of my career, and at this time I was. And why and was, was that? Uh, why? What was the purpose for that? You know what? I, I'd had different agents who uh, – my, my first agent, for example, made me hold out. Right. You know what I mean? And like, I didn't, you know, I looking back on it, I should have never done that. And I didn't want to. Uh, and I, I mean, it was early in my career. I mean, I, I held out for a better contract. Who the hell am I? You know? Right. So that was one. Um, and then I just, I had, 
I didn't want people to tell me what I want. I wanted to make my own decision based on what was being offered and what city I was in and all that type of stuff. So I just thought that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take the issue into my own hands and, and, and do my own negotiating. So anyway, um, that's kind of what went into that. So it's, it's the 2002, 2003 season and being my own agent, uh, Burke and, and Dave Nonis, who was the assistant GM after a game sometime around the Christmas time or new year, brought me into their office uh, after I'd showered or whatever. And they wanted to talk about a new contract and I hadn't even thought about it. It wasn't even on my brain. It wasn't even on my radar. Cause I was just worried about playing. Uh, and I'm like, we just played a game, you know, and I don't remember if we won or lost, but anyway, um, I said, you know what, guys? I said, I'm just, I'm not prepared to do this right now. I, I just, I don't, I'm not comfortable. Uh, so anyway, I don't really think they like that answer. Uh, so once the season was over, uh, negotiations started again, and I just, the tone was different. And uh, what we knew that after that next hockey season, after the 0304, there was a looming lockout. Right. And the one thing that I wanted was uh, I wanted a three-year contract. I was 31 or 32 years old at the time. And I wanted to make sure that I could get through that lockout and have a contract. And with five kids at that point, I didn't want to be in one city and then go to another city. And then once the lockout's over, end up in another city. I didn't want to move three times. And I thought the best scenario would be to get a three-year contract contract well they just balked at that and Brian Burke out in the media whatever I don't remember someone must have asked him about contracts right and then yeah someone must have someone must have asked him about I can't remember if it was in the newspaper it was on tv or whatever but Brian Burke makes the contract yeah you know what they're not going very well right now and if Trent Clatt thinks he can get a three-year deal uh so be it I'll drive him to the airport Oh, and those, yeah. and there go your days in Vancouver, right? Yeah. So, I mean, my days were numbered, and and then uh, I thought, you know what? I can't do this. I need, I need to hire another agent. So I, I hired Neil Sheehy at that point. Ah, oh, funny. That's funny. Um, uh, so you get you go to the Kings, and I'm looking at this roster, and you had a pretty decent year. You're the th- third leading scorer on this team. This is the last year of hockey for you. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, on paper, that team would have been really, really good. I mean, we had so many man games due to injury yeah. that year. Uh, Ziggy Pelfi hardly played. Joseph Stumple didn't hardly play. And, you know, it was uh, the West Coast teams really struggle with yeah. their travel to play to, and to compete in in the NHL, it really is difficult compared to the teams in, in the NHL. And I got to tell you, I never had more fun playing the game of hockey than I did that year. I got to play with Luke Robitaille almost all year. Yeah. And uh, it was, uh, I mean, that guy shows up to the rink and he works hard. He plays hard and he can score goals, but he just wants to have fun. 
Yeah. Highs laugh with him all year long. It was so much fun. Now, Sean Avery was on that team. He played a bunch. What was it like? Was What was he, like, you know, he's obviously built his own personality in, in social media and and had his had his trials and tribulations during his time in the league. But I'm guessing a lot of times when you get behind closed doors and he might have been different than what it, what his personality or what, what media wants to let him out to be. Uh, no, he's no different. He's an idiot. <laughs> really? Well, I set no. you up nicely for that one, didn't I? Yeah, no. And you know what? I'm. That's. Let's go on to the next topic because it's not even worth talking about. Was he a bad teammate too? Is that what you're saying? Just to be more oh, yeah. for a selfish type of teammate? Oh yeah. All right. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, we won't. We won't list that on the tweet then. You know his thoughts on Sean Avery because we don't need the, We don't need the publicity. Um, yeah. Okay. So why did the career, why did the career end? You were very vital in the in the negotiations for the NHL Players Association uh, in that lockout. Can you walk through some of just the, some of the high level details of that lockout? Well, basically, I had been the player rep when, in my days in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. um, and I was the player rep uh, during you know my time in Vancouver. And Trevor Linden was the president of the Player Association. So when he got to Vancouver, we were kind of both doing that role. And the summer of 2002 or 2003, I can't remember, but you know I was nominated to be on the executive committee. Right. By the players. Not having any idea what I was getting into whatsoever. Right. And, so, you, and at this point, story, you knew that the, the contract was up in 2004, so you knew there was some some trouble brewing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we knew what, we knew what was potentially coming. So uh, I played the 03-04 season in L.A. Uh, and went back to uh, Minnesota. I was there at my leg place. And of course, we know what happened. Oh four, oh five. I was caught right in the middle of it. And there's, you know, there's so much stuff I could go over, and there's so many things. Thank God I forgot. Um, but it just, uh, it was just a, an awful. It was an, it was an educational time, but it was an awful time, an awful experience to go through that, just to see it, because. I mean, the whole season got shut down and you see politics and you see guys, you know, who associate over here and then who pulls strings. And it's just it was a debacle. So it basically took its toll on me um, extensively. And when the vote was ratified, that's really when it got that's really when it went went AWOL for me uh, because some things were done that we didn't have. It wasn't in our constitution. We couldn't do. And then I started asking questions. And anyway, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. But it just—it really took its toll on me. To go back, I mentioned before that I—I I wanted a three-year contract. Well, when I signed with Los Angeles, I did get a three-year contract. Uh, so I played in Vancouver. Then I played in Los Angeles for a year. And then I moved to Minnesota and went through that lockout. And I ended up putting my kids in three different schools over three different years, I did exactly what I didn't want to do. Right. So in September of 2005, uh, the vote was ratified. My wife said, Trent, I got one year left on my contract. It was the most money I was ever going to make at the time. And she goes, you know, she supported me right through. She said, go ahead. 
because we had made a decision at that time that we weren't going to move our family anymore. Right. Um, the family was going to stay there in Grand Rapids. She was going to, was going to live at the lake. And she said, you know what? If you want to play, she goes, you go play. And I was all for her staying. I didn't want to move my family. But when it came right down to it, I didn't want to leave. And I, right. I didn't think it was right for my children to leave. And that was my decision. And you know what? I don't regret it one bit. I really don't because uh, I prayed about it a lot. Uh, and you know what? It was the right decision, and I haven't regretted it at all. Well, that's that's an interesting take as as how your career ends. Your career, ch- you chose family over finances, really. Yeah. You didn't obviously yep. have a, a love. You probably still love the game, but it wasn't it wasn't strong enough for you to, to pull you away from your five kids. Well, I did love my game, but remember, this was the proverbial piece of humble pie that I I knew what I had to do to play and stay in the league, and I wasn't gifted skill wise. I know what the numbers look like. Uh, You pointed out some of my statistical years and all that, but I was fortunate to play with some pretty good players in different situations. I had to do to stay in the league and to be successful. And when it started to ramp it up, I couldn't do it. I knew where I had to get to. And I just, I didn't have the energy. I, I, I didn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And I don't even, to this day, I don't even play shinny hockey anymore because you know what i gave everything that i possibly could give every single time i was on the ice and i left it all out there oh, that's, and i just i just i just i couldn't do it anymore that's a great way that's a great way to sum it up you know i i've had the same feelings about you know certain sports or certain things like all right i have done everything i possibly can i'm done wash my hands with it and move on right yep yep um, we'll get to the 2016-17 Grand Rapids people who are still listening in on this, but we'll get to that in a second. But I want to talk about your faith because you, you, you talked about how you prayed upon it. When exactly did you come to faith, and, and how did that process work, and, and where are you today? Well, I know when it started. Uh, it started, I was about 11, 12, maybe 13 years old. Um, I can remember laying in bed at night trying to fall asleep and, uh, it's hard for me to kind of tell a story to help explain this, but I can remember as I trying to fall asleep, realizing that I was going to die. And yeah. I remember contemplating at the time, I'm going to die and I'm never going to see my mom again. I'm never going to see my dad. I'm never going to see my sister. I'm never going to play hockey again, no matter how good I get at baseball or football. I mean, None of this is, I, I, I was almost like I was moving through space away from earth. And I realized that I was never going to see anything ever again. And it was just, it was dark. It was dense. It was not dense. It was empty. It was almost like I was going into despair right. at that point in time. And it dawned on me that that can't be what this is about. It just can't be. Right. That can't be the way that it is. So I was going to CCD courses and classes, and I was hearing about this God person and, and all that. And, okay, this can't be right, so I better pay attention because this God thing must be for real. So it wasn't like I had this epiphany, and it wasn't like, you know, God came and spoke. I didn't hear a voice. I didn't, right. you know, he didn't, wasn't sitting on the side of my bed one day. But I just had this sense that, this that God was for real and I knew it and as I kind of tapped into that over the course of the next 30 40 years 
You know, I always, I mean, he's there. He's helping me with decisions. I know what the right decision is. Sometimes I make the wrong decision. I'm a sinner just like everybody else. Uh, and I make some bad choices at times. But he's, but he's always there. Like, I have a relationship with him. I get up every morning. I shouldn't say every morning. I get up as many mornings as I possibly can. And I spend time in prayer because I have a relationship with him. And I want to be with him. And I don't want to, I don't want to upset him. So this has kind of grown, but that's where it started. Right. And it's just, it's kind of always followed me, uh, followed me around. And, and your wife is, she's openly, uh, Catholic, openly Christian. Um, yep. so that must mean you guys are fairly equally towed, uh, equally, uh, bound, uh, in your faith. Is that been paid off for you guys as, as in a marriage and, and with your kids too? Uh, you know what? We're, we're so blessed. We're so blessed. And, and I don't tell many people this cause people don't ask and I'm glad you did. So thank you very much. Uh, if my wife and I talk for just for argument's sakes, let's just say we talk for one hour a day, you know, every yep. single day, uh, 50 minutes of that is about our faith. It's about God. The other 10 minutes are about, you know, where I was or my flight was late or how are the kids? I mean, we sit on the couch and we talk about our faith every single day. It's the center of our life. And I can tell you this right now, if, if, uh, if God wasn't the center of our life, and I don't know how far down this rabbit hole you want to go, but if God wasn't the center of our life, I don't believe I'd be married right now. Yeah. And she would, amen to that. She would, she would, she'd tell you the same thing. Uh, that's a that's a great answer. That is a great answer. Uh, I always like to hear about it. Uh, uh, you and I joked. I don't remember where we were, but you and I were joking about when you were on Twitter because you're not really very active in Twitter anymore. Let's just put it that way. Uh, when yeah. you're on Twitter, you said I would when I would talk about hockey or hockey teams or hockey players, I would gain a hundred followers. I would talk about Jesus. I would lose a hundred followers. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that joke? So, I don't remember what it was. Well, I, but I thought it was super cute. When you said, that. I was like, yeah, isn't that the truth? Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when my kids first started talking about Twitter, I mean, I was just disgusted with it because why in the world would you just put something out there for everyone to like, who are you talking to? What's the, no, you just, so by the time I figured out what Twitter was, uh, well, and I'm not on Twitter anymore. You're right. I've gone over to parlor, uh, for a whole bunch of reasons we don't need to get into right, right. now, but, um, but yeah, it was just interesting because initially when I got into it, you know, everyone was talking about how many likes you got and how many followers you got. And mind you, it's my kids and all that, but I'm listening to them. So I'm watching my, my likes and I'm watching, you know, my followers and all that. Cause I don't really know that much about it. And right. quite frankly, I'm like, why am I worried about this? But it was interesting because when I would tweet something about hockey, I would just gain followers, whatever it was. Yeah. And if I tweeted something about Jesus or God or religion or faith, I'd lose followers. So I would do it every once in a while just to see what would happen. And then I would, you know, I would tweet something, you know, about, something a priest said or yes. bye to all of you that are going to leave me now. Bye. <laughs> right. It was like you were a, the first ever Christian troll on Twitter. I loved it. I loved yeah. it. People are like, so, can you believe he's saying them? Like, you know what? 
I like guys. I like people who are are, are are steadfast in anything that they do, whether it's their profession or their faith or whatever. I want people with passion, and he's passionate about that. Can't you respect his passion? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I guess so. You know, I mean, yeah. let's. Uh, he could be passionate about something a whole lot worse. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for supporting me. I appreciate it. I always have. It's like I'm like, yeah. well, this is the guy. This is the guy who's going to go to war with you. You know, that's the guy yeah. you want. So, yeah. um, I, I forgot. We, we we talked NHL really quick. I, I I love to go back to this. Um, we talked a little bit about being you know being nervous and getting your car crashed. So we kind of check off the first game. Do you remember your first goal in the NHL? I always love asking that question. What was that yeah. memory? So what was that? Go back to that game. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I remember my first goal. Uh, we were actually down in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay had become uh, uh, an NHL team. I believe it was in the summer of '92. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, or maybe it was this. Yeah, I think it was the summer of '92. So it was the '92-'93 season. My first year, I spent half the season in uh, Kalamazoo in the minors, and then at Christmas time, uh, I was called up and I, I played the rest of the season. So we were down in Tampa. Uh, and my grandma and grandpa on my mom's side of the family uh, lived in Sarasota in the wintertime. So they were actually able to come and watch that game. Uh, and believe it or not, a whole bunch of skill. There I was in the slot. I found a puck and I whacked home a backhand that went five hole and, and I scored my first NHL goal. So a whole ton of skill. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. All that skill, right? Anyone yeah. could have done it. Yeah. Well, that's great. I love the fact that grandma and grandpa are there really uh, makes it better, right? And my grandfather is very emotional. Uh, he's got the gift of tears. Very religious man. Uh, he was a Protestant, converted to Catholicism, and and he just, you know, you'd see him in I used to be an altar boy. So, I mean, he'd be sitting, I'd look over at my grandpa, and he's just looking at me, just bawling tears in church because he's he's, he's got the gift of tears. So, yeah. I just, you know, for him to see that goal and be there, it was just, it was just, he couldn't even, when I came out afterwards, they met me there, and he was just, tearing up because he was so happy and so excited and so joy filled. Oh, that's, that's so cool. That's so cool. All right. So at, yeah. we, now we go back to 2004, 2005, you retire from the game. Uh, you told me before the show that you basically went back to the woods and hunted for two straight years and never saw your family basically. Right. Yeah. When I was, uh, <laughs> when I was in college and when I was uh, playing professional hockey, there was about 16 years where I wasn't able to hunt. So I was able to fish in the summer, but I wasn't able to hunt. So I used to always tell my dad, you know, send me pictures. Tell me how it was for opening a grouse and opening a deer and all that type of stuff. And, you know, he could tell my frustration. And he goes, Trent, you know, someday is coming. You're going to be able to hunt for the rest of your life. And I'm like, well, thanks, Dad. But that doesn't help me right now. I wish I was there, you know. Right. So basically, when I retired, I just went into the woods. I basically hunted for the fall of 05 and the fall of 06. Um, and I just – I'll. You know, I just, I, I hunted everything I possibly could, um, and I, I, I love being in the woods. I made up for lost time, put it that way. That's great. That's great. Um, and, and by 2009, you got back into the game uh, scouting for the Islanders. Is that how you got your, was that your first gig? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had done a little bit of coaching in Grand Rapids at Bantams, and I had helped uh, Bruce Larock and the high school team uh, a little bit as a, volunteer assistant um and then it was uh interesting can i tell you another story yeah that's what we're here for it was uh uh it was 
and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure it was uh, the spring of 2008 or right after the new year of 2008 when Garth Snow with the Islanders signed Kyla Poso out of college. Yes. Do you remember exactly yes. when that was? I don't know what exact year, but I can look it up really quick. I'm pretty sure. Look it up if you want while I kind of tell the story, but yeah. I'm pretty sure it was in, it might have been Christmas of, of 07 or January of 08, but Garth and I played in Philly together and Garth and I played in Vancouver together. And, uh, I had, and he was part of this negotiating committee through the players association in 04, 05. So it's been a couple of years. I, you know, I was good friends with Garth, but I kind of lost touch with them. And I just, so, so, you know, this was, yeah. 07 was the year, the fall of the season. And he, he played the second half of the season, in 08, those sort of been January of 08 when he left the university. Yes. Okay. So that, that, that makes, uh, that makes it right. So, so as soon as Garth signed Kyle Oposo, I'm like, I picked my phone up and I dialed him immediately. And I, he didn't answer his phone. I said, call me. So I don't know how long it was. He called me, whether it was that day or the next day or whatever, but Hey, what's going up, buckle. That was my nickname. And I go, Hey, <laughs> I go, you are an absolute idiot and a clown. And he goes, nice talking to you, Clatter. What's up? And I said, what are you doing? Why in the hell would you sign Kyle out of college right in the middle of the season? And, uh, of course, we calmed down a little bit. Uh, but that's how, that com- that's how I kind of reconnected with Garth, is I just chewed his butt for signing Kyle. So, long story short, at the end of that conversation, hey, you know, the Islanders are coming to town. Why don't you come down? So... I went down and sat in the press box with the visiting GM who was yep. Garth. And, you know, I kind of thought on the way down. So I you thought, were in you Grand Rapids. You drove a couple hours to, to go see the Wild play the Islanders. Oh, yeah. Yeah, All I right. drove down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I drove down. So, and I kind of thought, you know, my wife kind of brings brought it to my attention. He goes, well, maybe he'll offer you a job. And I go, yeah, right. If he wanted to offer me a job, he would have called me last week and offered me a job. You know, why the hell would he offer me a job now? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well, we'll see. So you know, on my way down, I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe he will. Who knows? So long story short, we'll watch the game. Never says a word. I'm like, okay. I never brought it up. And I figured if he wasn't going to bring it up, I wasn't going to say anything either. So enjoyed the game, went back home. That summer, late July, Bruce LaRock knocks on my door in town, Grand Rapids, and he said, Trent, you got a minute? And I said, yeah. He said, what do you think about being a volunteer assistant uh, with the high school team? And I said, Bruce, I said, I'd love to. I'd love to try it. I had been coaching Bantams a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, at that time, I, hadn't been, I wasn't a scout. So I was just kind of hanging out, doing nothing. So, would you, yeah, I'd like to do it. So I did. If you didn't, if you won't believe me, five days later, my phone rings and it's Garth. And he says, do you want a scout? And I'm like, oh my gosh. He goes, you know, I would. I said, but I just told the high school coach that I'd be a volunteer assistant. He goes, ah, that's all right. He said, just, just start out new. Just start with high school hockey, some of that stuff. And so I did. And that's how I kind of got my start with, uh, with scouting. Was uh, the 2008-2009 season? Um, I did both volunteer coaching with the high school team, and I did some 
just basically high school stuff. I don't know if you remember, but that under 18 tournament in the spring of 2009 was in Fargo. Yes. So it was real easy for me to get over to Fargo. And that's really when I was exposed. And that's really when the hook was set, when I fell in love with, with scouting, was, uh, was that tournament in Fargo. What, what is it about the, the hook? What is the hook? What, what, what makes you like it? Because I don't want to get too much in detail with it. We've, we've agreed not to talk about scouting too yeah. much. But what is the hook? What, is, what, is, what do you enjoy about it? Well, um, I am a guy that I like the truth. You know what I mean? Yes. So for me, for me, in everything that I look at, everything that I do, I want the truth. So I showed up in Fargo that year, and there's all these players, and you're supposed to figure out what these guys are going to be at the age of 25 or 28? I'm going to have to do some research. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're going to have to try to figure this out. And it was just enthralling for me to try to figure out uh, where these players were going to go, how they were going to track, and what I thought they would be at the age of 25, 26, 27, 28, whatever their, their prime is. So that's kind of what just got me hooked uh, that year was that tournament, and uh, I, I've enjoyed it every year since. Did you ever see that movie Goodwill Hunting? Have you seen the movie? Yes, I have, and um, I don't see many movies I don't know if I really remember it too much. Oh, well, there was this, he, he solved a really hard math problem, like this gigantic math problem with all these different formulas on it. And that's what I think of when I think of scouting in NHL or Major League Baseball is it's a big, gigantic math problem to figure out if this player will be, if this, then this, if this, then this, you know, type of things for can this guy make it in your organization? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult, and please, when you figure it out, would you call me? Because I want to be the first one. Uh, I want I want that information, please. It's crazy, and that's the visual I keep coming back to. Is Goodwill Hunting this big? But it is. It's it's not a, It's not two plus two, and people no. think it is. Like, oh, how couldn't you know that this guy was be great? Well, after Mario Lemieux or Eric Lindros, uh, after about two or three of these kids, it gets really really tricky. And if you miss on an Eric Lindros or a Mario Lemieux. You know, you're going to pay forever in that industry. You're mud. You you're are mud. mud. Yeah, no, it's uh, so it's a, it's a challenge. Um, and you, you just you have to uh, uh, you got to have an opinion, but you got to also realize that uh, you know there's got to be some humility there, and you got to realize you're going to make mistakes, but be willing to learn. How is the? Uh, I've gotten to know a few guys through through the ranks. Uh, what is the? What is, your, what is your philosophy on the fraternity of, of scouts? You've been doing this long enough now where you probably know everybody in every jacket in the, in the league. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of you almost have a family because you see guys in this arena and that arena and you, some tournaments, they're all there. And um, it's different, though. I've never, I've never scouted pro only scouted amateurs, right, right. But as much as it is a, a group where you see them, that's really about as deep as it gets, you know. Because hey, Scotty, how you doing? You know, Scotty Bell, you see right. him, and maybe you have a little bit of a conversation. But guys are pretty guarded. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, I don't. You know, I'm telling you right now that I'm driving east, but I don't 
maybe don't tell you what state I'm in or which, yeah. know, which place I'm going type of thing, you know? So Yeah, um, you, you kind of have to be, don't you? Try to be as much as possible. Even though you already told me you're going to Youngstown. I know. Right? So you just, I know. just gave I it know. away. But in current, yeah. in, in current, it wouldn't take a genius to figure out there's only about three games uh, this this evening that you could actually scout. Maybe five yeah. during given exactly. the COVID, right? If I was going to try to to Buffalo you, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that I rented a car in Detroit because you could do that. You could just kind of map it out and go, okay, well, he's one of these three spots. You can't even cross the border and go to an OHL game, can you? Exactly. You can't do it. Can't do anything. So there's not a lot of games. I was talking to uh, Clarkson, assistant coach yesterday, and you know Clarkson's in this conference where there's half their teams are out of the league. He goes, I feel like I'm putting together a softball team. Like, hey, can you play tomorrow night? You know, it's just yep. this crazy. It's a crazy time with with the COVID yep. right now. All right, yep, now sure l- let's get to the show everybody's been waiting for here in Minnesota. Everyone wants to know about Trent Clatt, the 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 high schooler and college and player. But, but where you made your greatest mark is as the high school coach at Grand Rapids High School. And you had two unbelievable years. First of all, how did you – I hate to say how did you get the job, but how did you walk into being the head coach at Grand Rapids those years? Oh, as quick as I possibly can tell you, um, uh, I told you that the 08-09 season, I was the volunteer assistant uh, right. with the high school team. And I, and I really enjoyed that. And then uh, – after that, I decided to scout. So I wasn't able to do both at the same time in the capacity that I, that I was. So a couple years go by. And to make a long story short, my son uh, was born in 94. So yep. when I retired and came home, he was 11. And then was very shortly thereafter, after spending a couple years on, I was traveling all over the place again. Right. So I missed my son through high school. I missed my oldest daughter through high school, and it was the summer of 2014 um, when uh, I just, I had to come home. My family, I, I, I didn't, I missed too much with my oldest two. I had three more kids coming along, and I didn't want to miss three and four as they went through high school. I just, it was too important for me uh, to not be at home. So uh, I took a, just a different role within the organization where I was going to be able to be at home more. And the <laughs> John Rostein, and I can't remember exactly what season it was when he got the head coach of Grand Rapids. Uh, I know Johnny very well. And right. he says, uh, can you come help out? Can you be a volunteer assistant? I said, John, I can't. I said, I'm either in or I'm out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, when yeah, I jump yeah. in, I go in. I want the truth and I'm going to give you everything I got. So I, I can't. So then I think it was 2014 when I made the decision that that was going to be the 14-15 season was the last year that I was going to stay uh, in the position with the Islanders where I was traveling all over the place. Right. So John Rostein asked that season, he says, you know, would you, you know, would you be the volunteer assistant? I said, you know, I will. I'll do it. You will? Now all the, I go, yes, I will. I said, I'm not going to be around that much. I said, but I'll come and, and I'll be around. And when I'm home, I'll come on the ice and help out. Nobody else knew, but I knew that the next season I was going to be around a lot more and I was going to be a volunteer assistant. I was right. happy with that. Perfect. Right. It was yep. all fine. Well, long story short, in 2015, John gets pushed aside 
And, uh, of course, every, you know, when Bruce was let or stepped down, whatever it was, or moved aside, and when John was moved aside, it was, you know, all eyes on me. You want to be the coach? You want to be the coach? You want to be the coach? And I'm like, no, 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 and no. <laughs> so in 2015, it was, you know, I, knowing what I was doing and being presented, you know, do you want to coach? My initial reaction was, no, I don't, because I know how I am. And I know what it's going to mean and I know what it's going to take. And I just, I, 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 I don't want to do it. And of course, then I talked to my wife and she goes, wow, you really should think about it. And I go, well, I am thinking about it. Well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I kind of like it and I could do it. And it kind of be neat. And you know they are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you that did. Type of thing, you you, you, know? you happened to catch a couple press clippings that they had won a Bantam State title, and 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 the group oh, yeah. right in front of them was with the Matson and uh, yeah. Bischoff. That wasn't a bad group either. Yeah, no. So I mean, I so, and I knew that too. I'm not I'm not naive enough to know that they were pretty good. So long. Yeah, yeah, I did. So I put my name in, uh, applied for the job, and lo and behold, I got the job. So what is Ann Campbell thinking at this point? Like, uh, I know how, how much interaction did you have with Ann leading up to this, putting your name in, uh, uh very well, little, or was it, was she a neighbor somewhat? No, she, uh, uh, it's, it's interesting. I don't remember if we talked about it earlier or if we talked about it before the, right. uh, before we were on, but Ann Campbell was an assistant coach at the University of Minnesota for women's softball. Right. So Ann Campbell is the one that recruited my wife and my sister-in-law to come to the University of Minnesota to play softball. It's such a weird thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So I can remember uh, when our athletic director uh, spot opened up. I don't know how it happened, but my wife caught wind that Ann was, was coming up. So that's kind of how we had kind of reunited and I never really knew Ann that much, but right. uh, when she came there, of course she knew my wife and had followed me at the university of Minnesota as well. And I just basically said, you know, Ann, whatever I can do to help uh, in anything I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do it. Well, it didn't take her long to figure out, you want to coach, you want to coach, you want to coach? <laughs> yeah. Ann, come on, seriously, settle down. So uh, I helped her. Uh, I was on the committee that helped hire John Rostein. Right. Uh, when, when he became the coach, so I was able to help her. So I had a relationship with her and she was very good with the kids. And my wife had started the a youth softball program in Grand Rapids. So, you know, they had, they had that in common. And I'm so much of a student that, you know, my wife, she was able to pitch and she could, she could do all that stuff, but for her to articulate it and teach it to kids, it was difficult for her just because it came so naturally to her. Right. So like all my daughters pitched and I, for the life of me is trying to figure out how I can teach pitching. So I can remember going in and how do you pitch? Teach me how to pitch. How do you hit? <laughs> I want to learn all this. You know what I mean? So, yeah, 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 yeah. so I had this going on with Ann trying to learn to get better in softball. So there was a relationship there. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. So you, you take the job. I remember meeting you that, summer up in Duluth Marshall or Mars Arena and you just had this look on your face that what did I get myself into did you realize being the head coach all the administrative that went through it and all the parents and all the things that you probably didn't have responsibility for as a volunteer assistant 
I had no clue what I was in for. No <laughs> so clue. I was right. There was good perception there, right? Yeah, I must have. If, if you said, if you had a picture of a deer in a headlight, that was me. I had no idea what I was getting into. I thought I was going to show up at the rink and, you know, I mean, I was up at night coming up. I was trying to remember drills that I did as a player and coming up with practice plans and all that type of stuff. And my goodness, so many other things that went into it. it just it's mind blowing. I've got more respect right now for high school coaches, men and women, any sport. I just I got more respect for them than I've ever had because I've lived it and done it. It's it's not easy. That's for sure. It's not no. easy. Um, okay, so the, the the first and I've always I've maintained this that the team that won the state title in seventeen wasn't as good as the team physically and is as it was in sixteen. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, one hundred percent. weren't even close. Yeah, I shouldn't I mean, say we weren't even close. We were close, but the team in in fifteen sixteen was was much deeper. It's just we were younger, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't remember what was the goaltending situation like because I remember Stasekal was as a sophomore in fifteen sixteen was kind of like the Messiah, right? He was going to come in, and, but he didn't get a lot of playing time. Was there? It wasn't like a wasn't it a three goal kind of three goalie like roundabout like a like a yeah. carousel, we had wasn't it? Gobert. Joe Burt was a senior. Yes. And we had these two young punks coming in, Stasekill and Olam, as sophomores. Yes. And I probably took a lot of heat, but I wasn't going to just kick the senior out. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, wait a minute. I mean, I played hockey for 34 years before I retired, and I was, I mean, when I was younger, I was given stuff, but you had to earn everything. Yeah. I mean, I remember even making Hayne and McLaughlin and those. I made them play JV. <laughs> And they kind of looked at me like, what? And I said, you got to prove to me that you don't belong out there. Right, right. You know, uh, that's yeah. just, just just what I decided. to. So anyway, we had a three-goalie rotation. And there were some things that uh, Zach went through that year. Uh, I don't know if you remember or not, but his mom got in a bad, bad yes. accident. Yes, yes. Uh, so there were some things. Zach just never was able to get, um, was never able to get in a groove. No, and I just I, I and I, I mean he's a great goaltender. He just for whatever reason wasn't able to find it, and I couldn't uh, I couldn't give him the ice time that he wanted or or needed allegedly needed or yeah. I mean because he didn't deserve it at the time, you know. He didn't. Um, he didn't deserve it. And the weird part about it is, uh, you had two other goalies that were performing. Yeah. And Gabe Holum was, I mean, he was the guy we went with that year. And, I mean, that kid stood on his head time and time again. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's just crazy how how in, in a moment's time like that, it, it it can just go, it's in or it's out. And then and then your 17-year, Zach's the reason you maybe want it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, and we, 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 we got into a little bit of an injury bug uh, with Gabe. Uh, in the playoffs, and I, I had to make a decision in the in the in the section tournament. And oh, he was mad at me in the state tournament. He was mad. This Gabe is in, was. Se- in seventeen. I'm sure he was. Yeah, it was in seventeen. And I mean, they had basically. I I didn't know what to do as a coach. I knew these guys were both good. I knew Zach. I mean, just the fact that he was six three and Gabe was 
five ten or whatever. I mean, if you're not six three, you don't even play in the NHL anymore. Right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I knew what that was, but I didn't know what to do with them. And they were both, from all I could tell, were both good. And, well, how are you going to handle the goalies? I don't know. I'm just going to take it one day at a time and see what happens. I got no idea how this is going to unfold. And you had basically um, split them all year, correct? I split them basically right from the get-go. I was prepared. And they split all year. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you- I even – and so Zach hadn't even really performed – his sophomore year. No. And I had a conversation with Holm going into uh, the year we won it in the fall of 16. And I said, Gabe, I said, I just want you to know that I, 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 I mean, this is high school hockey. What you did for us last year, it was all you, you know what I mean? I'm not taking that away, but I said, I got to give this kid a chance. Yeah. I can't, I can't just bench him and, and give, I said, you're going to start, but I'm going to play him in game two. And we're just going to see what happens. And we might go every other game all year. I just want you to know that. Yeah. And yeah, they're fine. and they're good enough friends where they were. Oh yeah. They were okay with that. But that's that's what I did. I didn't. I didn't no idea how I was going to handle. It. I was actually of all the things I was scared about. That was one of the things I was the most frightened of is how I was going to handle those two goalies because only one can play. And the goofy part about it, it's not like you're playing midget AAA where you, they play sixty games. I mean, there's only yeah. like twenty five games for them to play. Right. I know, and they're both high caliber. I mean, I, so it was very difficult. It was one of those things where, you know, I don't know if I handled it the right way. I have no idea. Uh, everybody else can be the judge of that, but um, I did the best I could, and, um, you know, I think everyone made it through. So so the uh, 2016 state semis where you you get to the semifinals, I think you beat Bemidji in the, in the quarters. Um, yeah. And, and then in the semis – um, you have, I would call it what could go wrong, did go wrong in that semifinal game. I remember, you know, weird hops, weird bounces. I mean, it was all, it was all Eden Prairie that night. What are your recollections of that semifinal game in 16? Oh man. Well, that was the first time that, uh, you know, I mean, you're in the state quarterfinal. It was my first time there, you know, and I'm like, right. this is so unbelievable. I'm looking up and I can't believe all the orange at one end of the building. But but Eden Prairie was just, at the time with Casey Middlestat, they were like this mythical, just juggernaut, you know, like right. nobody's going to get in the way. Nobody can beat Eden Prairie. And, you had played them over uh, in Braemar earlier in the year, too. Yeah, yeah, we played them That was in the Braemar. goaltender you used this like your first five games, and now you're trying to figure out who your goalie is. I remember that was part of the pro- the dilemma started right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't remember too much other than we got spanked, and <laughs> we, you know, I mean, they just they beat us to every puck. They uh, they spanked us pretty good, and we we really didn't even have a. I don't know how long we held on for, uh, but we were on the ropes early, and we held on until we couldn't hold on, and we were done. And then you obviously had the the controversy too with with the Blake uh, had had been suspended, so it, it just it was a bad vibe, right? It was just it was it was like what could go wrong did go wrong with that group, correct? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it was, and and it was the, the the thing that happened with Blake was so deflating uh, going into that that state tournament because I mean you know how hockey is in the out metro areas, I mean goodness gracious me grand rapids i mean they just they come to life 
about their hockey team. So now their hockey team is in the state tournament, and it had been, I don't even know how many years since they'd been in it. Um, well, 06, 07, I guess. Yeah. It's been about 10 years. But, um, you know, just so much excitement. And then that, you know, for Blake not to be playing, it was just like whatever we had going for us was just, I was like, an, we, we weren't in a hot air balloon going up. We grabbed the anchor and just went south. Yeah. You know, it just took the life right out of us. Yeah, and it's so funny because it was just the opposite, like, 10 days prior to that. That was the hardest part where when you guys beat East, you know, I think, was that the one where it was six seconds left in the – Yeah, yeah. I mean, a- Alex yeah. Adams, right? I mean, what an unbelievable – I was there. It was – still goes down as one of the greatest games ever. I mean, you couldn't get a ticket to that game. It was 6,000 fans. That I think the thing was sold out, you know, a day in yeah. advance. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of stuff that – when you signed up and you're talking to your wife and you're like, that's what you signed up for, right? And then to have it all kind of a little bit of that vibe taken away. And I don't want to spend too much time on the suspension and that, but but walk through the, the medal. Did you get in a lot of trouble for giving your medal to Blake? There was some kind of trouble there, wasn't there? Uh, you know, there were some people that were talking about there being trouble. But there wasn't. But there was nothing. I never heard anybody say anything to me. And all that happened was Blake was in there and, you know, he was such a big part of that hockey team that as soon as I got my medal, I took it off my neck. I walked right over and I put it around Blake. Right. And I said, here, here you go. You deserve this it. This is yours. Right. You deserve it, not me. And that's just what I did. That's the end of the story. Nobody <laughs> ever said a word to me about it. Okay. I, I heard they're... some scuttlebutt about, you know, whatever people saying shouldn't have done it or whatever. And maybe I shouldn't have. I don't know. But I just wanted Blake to know that regardless of what happened, he was – the re- one of the main reasons why we were there, and here you can have it. <laughs> You're telling me. I mean that 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 game against East. I think he had two goals, and they were huge goals. And he was such a. I watched him last night playing against Michigan State, and it just rem- reminiscent of how much of a you know he's a, he's got such a great hockey IQ to start with, but his energy level and his his way where he just kind of gets under people's skin too is is, is uh, he's a he's a different player that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, we had a bunch of different characters on that team, and all of them in their own way had you know their their positives and and their negatives and their little quirks. It was it was a fun group. There's no doubt. Yeah. So fast forward to 16. And this is the this is where I really want to roll up my sleeves on is. You had stepped down from coaching and then came back from coaching. What do you recollect about that whole scenario? Is there a time limit? No, there isn't. There isn't. We're, <laughs> okay. at, we're at 90 minutes right now. The people get All bored right. at about, in about 10 minutes. So I'd say we got about 10 minutes right. to go. All right. So anyway, um, uh, when I took that, that job, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't know how far down this rabbit hole I, I want to go because I could probably talk for half an hour, but – I I stood in front of all those guys and I told them that I loved them. And they all kind of looked at me. This was before 1516. Right. And uh, and, I, and I told them I loved them all. And they kind of looked at me like, uh-oh. He's a weirdo. Who's this, who's yeah. this fruitcake, you know? So I, <laughs> I very quickly, I, I went through, uh, you know, I gave them a little, uh, a little history lesson in language. And I said, you know what, guys? I said, we kind of, as Americans, we throw love around uh, pretty loosely. I mean, we love to hunt. We love to, uh, we love to fish. We love to play hockey. We love pepperoni pizza. You know, we don't really have a, a, a good word for love because it's too vague. I said, but in the Greek language, there's actually four. Mm-hmm. There's storge, 
there's filio, there's agave, and there's um, uh, what's the fourth one? Um, I only know the agape Eros. one. Eros. Yeah. Eros. Was, Eros yeah, was the Eros. first one I could think of. Yeah. Yeah. So I told them, I said, guys, Philadelphia is what? The city of brotherly love. And I said, okay, perfect. That's the angle I'm coming from. Yeah. You guys, what do you want to win? State tournament. So do I. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you guys have any idea what the definition of love is? And again, you know, Crickets. they just hands they were sitting on their hands nobody was saying anything and i said well i said a little history lesson i don't know if it's saint augustine or if it was um thomas aquinas i said but many 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 centuries ago i said propose that the definition of love is to will the good of another you guys okay with that yeah so i said i can love you guys in a filial way yeah philadelphia the city of brotherly love and I love you enough to say that I will your good. So whenever we go through these next couple of years, everything that's coming to me, I, I come to you willing your good. Okay. And in love, there needs to be a giver and there needs to be a receiver. Right. Yep. So what happened was there was an incident that happened at the state tournament. Yes. And, uh, I caught wind of it a couple of days later, and to make a long story short, um, I'm like, okay, well, I'm with Ann. I said, I want to have a conversation with everybody, and you know what? We've all made mistakes. We've all done stupid things, and I want to know who's going to, uh, who's going to basically fess up, and some did, some didn't, and I said, listen, this love thing is... I'm giving everything to you, and if you're going to take, then I'm out. I'm not coaching. So that was the reason why I stepped down, um, was there was an incident and guys didn't come clean. Right. And then, long story short, a couple days later, some things happened. Um, We kind of repaired ourselves, and I said, okay, thank you. I'll coach. So, so it was it was just a short amount of time between the you you stepped down for a short amount of time and it wasn't as long as I, yeah, felt like was, I don't felt like it was a long time. I don't know if it was I mean I don't remember. I don't know if it was a week or two or but it wasn't more than two remember. weeks. No. Okay. All right. Well, that's okay. great. I don't think so. So, so now yeah. bu- buckle so, up. The next year, the win the one where you win it, um it's not it's not your typical when, when you're telling your story to, to David LeBake, it's not your typical story. You know what I mean? This is not a, a glamorous team, uh, you know, above 500, but you were the five seed heading into sections. And I think part of that is, didn't you have some illness, like a flu kind of bug that ran through your team? And were Because you, you guys really struggled at the end of the season. Uh, yeah, we did have some flu going on late in the season, and we had some other incidents that happened that I had to deal with. And, um we really did not. We really did not enter the section tournament clicking at all. We were just a discombobulated mess at you, that point in time. And you got to go on the road, beat Cloquet. I don't remember that game. I remember the next game. I think it was Elk River. As the next game was kind of the, the turning point. I, I had to be the turning point. Um, but uh, do you remember much about the Cloquet game at Cloquet? No. I don't remember much about that game at all. But, Actually, but, 
we did not play Cloquet. We played Andover at home. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, we played Andover at home. Are you sure? Uh, yep. And then we played Elk River in the section semis. How did you get Andover at home? Weren't you the five seed? You have to go on the road. No, we weren't the five. We were the four seed. Okay. All in right. our section, we were the five seed at the state tournament. That was it. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I got, yep. I'm confused. Yep. All right, so you did beat Andover, yep. and now you play – you you get section Saturday over at uh, at Amsoil, and you're down. I mean it's 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 gl- it's gloom and doom, and it something the light went off, the switch went off. Go through that uh, s- circumstances where you guys pump in like three or four goals and put Elk River away. Yeah, you know what? That was pretty nerve wracking. Uh, uh, I must say, as we as we go into that third period, because I mean we weren't playing that great. Uh, toward the end of the season, but we all knew that the talent we had was was exceptional, uh, especially our high-end talent was, yeah. was really good. And um, One thing that I had decided to do in Grand Rapids was try to get squirts and mites away from playing full ice games. I introduced what's called Thunder Cup, right. where they played cross ice. Yep. So what I would do in with the high school team is rather than I hated bag skates. I hated to skate the guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I just, I just hated it. And I, I didn't like it as a player. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to do it as a coach. So what I would do. And I just told these guys flat out. I said, this is what we're going to do. I said, we're going to have what's called thunder. We're going to play full ice three on three. And you're going to go full speed and you're going to play as hard as you can. I'm going to divvy up the teams and we're going to play for, we're going to, we're going to have a best out of seven series. So I made this whole big thing up. And the guys loved it. I mean, they played hard. They actually skated harder playing three-on-three than I could have got out of them by doing board-to-boards or (laughs) Herbies. You know what I mean? Right. And they had no idea, right? They had no idea what they were doing. And I'd giggle every time. Nooch and I would come off the ice with Bo Geisen, and we'd just giggle. (laughs) They skated so flipping hard. They had no clue what we just did, and they were having fun. So it was awesome. But I basically – I remember – I don't know if it was – I remember, uh, I remember calling a timeout. I don't remember if that was in the third period. Uh, yeah, it was. It was the third period of the Elk River game. Yep. And I called a timeout, and I sat on the bench, and I called all the guys over, and and I mean, it was there was there was tension on the bench, and uh, I just kind of sat, looked at everybody, and they're just looking at me, huffing and puffing, and you know, and I'm like, guys. I go, it's really a good thing we played Thunder Cup all year. They kind of puzzled and looked at me, and they go, why? And I go, because you guys haven't ran a system in the last two and a half periods. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, of course, now they kind of chuckle, you know what I mean? And they're kind of laughing, and, you know, I can't remember. Someone elbows somebody else, and they're giggling and all that. I said, guys, this is fun. This is what it's all about. I said, just go play and have fun, please. And I don't know if that's what happened. I'm not taking credit for it, but it just seemed like what I what I wanted to do was just relieve a little bit of pressure, if I could, and just get them back to just having fun and just playing the game they love. It's uh, I'm, I'm, I pull up the box score here from that game. They went up with three minutes and forty nine seconds to go in the game, three uh, two. And you must have called timeout after yeah, maybe that. that a, yeah, it might have been. And, and, and the reason I say that because then the next 
uh, three minutes, you guys score uh, three goals in three minutes and win. Yeah. <laughs> Hain, Hain, Burnson, you know, bang, yeah. bang, 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 and it was over. Yeah. Uh, and those are fun. Those are fun when yeah. you just kind of just turns in overdrive. And I think the, you know, and then obviously the next game you, you beat uh, Easton overtime. You know, I mean, talk yep. about what a fun uh, way to, you know, win, knock your biggest rival out of business in their own home rink. Uh, Micah gets the game winner, and that was kind of a, uh, you know, overtime game that was, you know, kind of one for the ages. It just went, kind of went over, you know, double overtime. So you're, you're, you're resurfacing the ice for this game, for that period, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, I, this, I don't know. I mean, the state tournament was great. It was un- wonderful to be at the X and to have that many people there. But, man, I'm here to tell you. Those two games, those section final games against Duluth East at Amsoil, huh? <laughs> those might have been. There might have been more pressure. Yes. For those games. Yeah. Yes. I Way mean, more pressure because I mean, if you lose yeah. to East, you're gonna have to live with that the rest of your life. I know. You know. I, know. And I be- didn't realize. I didn't realize that I hated Duluth East as much as I did. Yes. They do. You, you just there's and all those kids know each other. I mean, there's just so much on the line. There's almost more on the line there than there were uh, than 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 in the state tournament. So yeah. Now now yeah. go. Let's fast forward to we, we talk about the section finals a little bit. Let's let's get right to the game. I think it's one of the more legendary games in in state tournament history. Uh, and 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 I always say the unlikely heroes. I tweeted about it just this week, way before we even chatted. Uh, someone had posted something about the, it was actually a video of the boys singing in the locker room after winning the state title, and I was like, "Well, what what gets lost here is the is the Keegan Grabers and the Connor Steffens uh, yep. f- for the rest of us because we think about uh, Hayne and McLaughlin and Stay Skull and 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 Michael Heitkamp, some of these you know the big name kids that were on that team. But what gets lost is. Is, is Connor Steffen and Keegan Graber walk through that game where everything went right? You know, I mean, I think Jack Jensen hit about three posts in that game for Eden Prairie. Um, walk through that game. What your recollection was? Yeah, it, it's uh, it was an unbelievable game, and you're right. A lot of things had to go right, and you know, in games like that, big games, uh, it's not always your star players are the ones that are going to rise up to the occasion. I mean, you need your best players to be your best players, and it's not like Dean and McLaughlin and Stampahar and those guys didn't play well. They did. Right. I mean, they were up against Casey Middlestaff. They were up against, and I can't, I'm trying to think, for so much of the game, they actually weren't against that line. They had their checking line, and I'm just drawing a blank. Shame on me for not remembering the three yeah. players. Uh, but they tried to shut that line down, and they did a pretty good job. I mean, they, right. they did. Yeah, they did shut them down. Oh, they they had Nolan, um, Sull- Nolan Sullivan and those yes. guys. Yes, Sullivan. Yes, yes. Yeah, they had those guys that they that they played against him. So, um, you know, it just it's opportunities uh, come about for some people to to shine. And you know what, Keegan Graber and Connor Steffen and Jack Burnson. I mean, they were in the right place at the right time. And it's interesting. What I do remember is obviously, as you do, that they were a factor. But when we played uh, Eden Prairie in the Edina Classic before Christmas, yeah. we beat Eden Prairie in that game, too. And if I don't remember exactly, but I'm almost positive it was Keegan Graber and Connor Steffen for the difference in that game as well, because we beat them <laughs> that time. That's a great memory. You know, so yes. th- these guys weren't afraid, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. They weren't afraid. So, that was a really special team. So, so let's take the whole love thing full circle now. Um, yeah. Any any fun like the memories of loving these guys? Did you have a, a post game speech? I mean, you talked to me before the show. Like, uh, I got I got to lead you right down the light. So this state this state championship. You know, you've been in the Stanley Cup Finals. You've been you've had a pretty decorated uh, career in the game of hockey. Does this, how does this, how does this memory rank up loving these guys up and teaching these guys? How does this thing rank? Oh man. Uh, you know, it, it, it's strikes so dear to my heart. I can, you know, uh, as far as hockey goes, I, I played in the world championships. I played on the world junior team. I played in the NHL. I played college for the Gophers. I mean, uh, no way was I ever going to be an all-star player. No, Family Cup, and no, I didn't play in the Olympics, but um, I can tell you right now, flat out, hands down, um, if you ask me to describe, Trent, your most, uh, what's the best thing that ever happened to you as a coach or a player, hands down, without even thinking about it, it was that state tournament win. It was by far better than anything, anything ever. And now that was the semifinals. Now I want to just paint a picture because you're on the bench and you're probably focused and maybe you've seen pictures of it since, but there's a picture someone took um, of the arena and now you're playing Moorhead. They're, they're uh, orange and black. You guys are orange and black. The entire arena is orange and black. Have you seen this photo before? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what is your, I mean, that, that's a photo that you just like, and you are, you're driving the car for the team that wins the title. I mean, not, not to pump your tires too much, but that's got to be a pretty good accomplishment. And, you know, you look down and go, yeah, I was right in the heart of that whole scene that night. And it was just, you know, two Northern teams too, and so much history with both teams. It was a pretty special night. It was, and I, I don't remember when I told the guys that, but I just thanked them for letting me come along for the ride because it was their deal. It was their their trip. It was their... Uh, their performance that was uh, that got them to where they ended up, and I was just thankful that they allowed me to come along for the ride. So I it just it's it's the only thing that would be would have been better would have been had I been a wanted as a player. Yeah, That's the only thing that would have been better. It's the it's the old Neil Broughton line. Neil said yeah. that uh, you know he'd won gold, he'd won he'd won uh, a Stanley Cup, he'd won NCAA title, and he said he would trade all three of them to win a state title at Roseau in yep. the, at the Civic Center. I yep. can't believe that, but it's it's a great line that, that uh, us Minnesotans take a lot of pride in. Yeah, it is. It, and you know what? It's I've spoken uh, different times about hockey and the state of Minnesota, and um, it's, it's just something so special. Uh, they don't have it any place else. So you can go to a prep school game out east in the Boston area and, I mean, there's, you know, there's 30 parents and there's maybe four students at, at a game and, and that's how they play. Yeah. That's what they play in front of, you know, and um, not that there's not good hockey all over the place. There is, but for high school hockey uh, at the age of 16, 17 and 18, Minnesota's done it right, has been doing it right. And I just, uh, I wish we could find a way to keep some of these kids in high school. Yeah, well, th- that was kind of my last happy. I know we're running way heavy on time here, but I want to. You've always been open, and you know whether it's on Twitter or Parlor or wherever you are, you're. 
very, very open about how great the model is here. Um, and I, I don't want to get too much into the NHL scouting angle. I, I just want to do the, the Trent Klatt uh, personal angle. Um, what's so? What what is your takeaway when you're when you're scouting when you're watching hockey in Minnesota? Uh, what besides the community based part? What what is what is what is it that makes us flourish so well? Oh well, I, the men. There's a whole bunch of things, uh, but what comes to my my mind right up front is it, in Minnesota it allows the player to be a child It yeah. allows a player to play hockey and they can play football and they can play baseball or golf or tennis or any of those other sports. Um, and they also get to, uh, they get to be home with mom and dad for dinner on Wednesday night, or maybe not Wednesday because maybe Wednesdays, uh, you know, church night, but Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays and Sundays, I mean, they're home with mom and dad. Um, and they, they, they get to be a kid. And I think sometimes uh, everyone is in such a hurry. Everyone wants to get from second base to third base and from third base to home. They want to get to where they, I mean, I get it. We all want to, we all want to be the best. We all want to get to the next level, but you don't have to be in such a hurry and you're not going to miss out on things. So I've always been, been, and this has been my line. If kids want to go play in the USHL, or if they want to go play in the development program, or if they want to go play in the Western Hockey League, you can do that. But if you want to play in the NHL and you're from small town Minnesota and you want to play in your high school team, if you're good enough to make the NHL, you'll get there. You will. Yeah. I did a, um, I did a, uh, and this frustrated me a couple of years ago, and I don't remember how many years it was, uh, maybe five, six, seven years ago, but I did a, uh, I just couldn't take it any longer. So I went through opening night rosters in the NHL and I took all the Minnesota players. At the time there was 31 of them and 15 of the 31 Minnesota high school hockey players, 15 of the 31 players on opening night rosters in the NHL never played a game in the USHL. Really? Period. Four more had done the before or after. So 19 of the 31 players never skipped a high school game, ever. The only one they missed is if they were hurt or sick. And yeah. my whole point was, my whole point was just to show everybody that if you choose to stay at home and you want to, and you have dreams of playing college hockey or in the NHL, and you're from Minnesota, you can do it. So. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating. You touched on something there that I think is really important, and it, it, it's it's I, you, you could kind of the half empty, half full perspective. Um, a lot of these kids, when they go to the national development program, now they're they're living as a billet, right? So they're living fifteen years old, sixteen years old. Uh, they're billeting sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old. They're not living in their homes. Um, they 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 they. I always say this. Someone said this, and I think you'd agree with this. You, the minute you sign with a USHL team, and I'm not ripping the USHL. I think it's a fantastic league, or the NHL. I think they're fantastic leagues. The minute you sign, whatever the term is, once you go to these programs, you've lost your entire identity. You're no longer a son. You, you know, you're kind of owned by this by this league. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, and and 
and I agree with you as far as USHL and North American Hockey League. I mean, I'm not trying to make any enemies here. Everybody's got a job to do. We've got to re- you know, respect everybody. Yeah. But you've heard the old thing, too, like with, uh, you know, when you go to the University of Minnesota, you're just a number. You know, I'm sure you've heard that. Yeah. yeah when you when you're when you leave high school, you're just a number. Yes. You know, you are. I mean, it's, it's a business. That's the best way to explain it. It's a business. Yeah. And and you lose that identity, and I think a lot of these kids, you give they'll they'll cough up their identity to to join a USHL team or NA team or to just to get to that next level. When when re, the reality is their identity, living at home with mom and a dad, uh, brothers and sisters, and grandma and grandpa to be able to come to their games. There's a value there that they're 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 forfeiting uh, sooner than they really need to. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? If they choose to do that, that's fine. But if they want to stay at home and they have aspirations of playing college hockey or pro hockey they can do that too yeah i agree i agree well i appreciate your time this has been a lot of fun uh i have a quick sponsor but i'd like to greet you after after we get through that just really quick trent any uh i really appreciate you all you've done for for the people in this community and 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 with the game well thanks for having me on i appreciate it and for asking me some of those questions that a lot of times people don't ask I appreciate it. Trent Klatt, uh, New York Islanders, uh, now living in Plymouth, Michigan, former Osseo guy. Been a great guest today on the show. Thanks a lot for joining me. Thank you. Uh, Trent was a great guest, uh, as I expected. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, and a huge appreciation goes out to our sponsor, uh, the Minnesotan. Uh, exclusive to YHH fans, they get a 15% off discount if they use the code YHH. Uh, give gifts of tradition and nostalgia you can't find anywhere that your people will love. Guaranteed. This place is worth a drive to downtown White Bear Lake. As my friend John King once said, it's the greatest store in the world, and I agree with the kinger. Uh, thanks, Lynn. Thanks again for tuning in to today's show on the Minnesotan. Minnesotan Pod.